Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I am your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today is Kevin Ingram. Kevin, of course, has done all sorts of work for Vanderbilt. He has been the midweek baseball guy on the SEC Network for a while. He's going to be the sideline announcer for the coming season. And, of course, Kevin also has done a lot of Vanderbilt basketball games on the SEC Network. So Kevin and I will talk Vanderbilt baseball on today's episode. This edition is brought to you by Jody Jones DDS. He is trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and the aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after general and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville, Tennessee. He has earned the title of number one in Nashville for cosmetic dentistry. He provides a unique luxury environment for his patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or his other services. A special thank you to Jody for stepping up and being the title sponsor of this podcast. Our news is sponsored by Sutherland & Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, call Taylor or Russell at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Vanderbilt was back at football practice this week. There was a small COVID outbreak that was responsible for the postponement of a practice earlier in the week, but the team is back at it again. The guest line is presented by Bowling Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable sheets could be until I got Bowling Branch sheets. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to BowlingBranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code Vandy and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Kevin Ingram joins us today. First time guest on the podcast. Kevin, of course has been an announcer for Vanderbilt for baseball games during the midweek, has done some basketball games, of course, for the SEC Network, and, of course, will be doing sideline reporting this year for the football team. Kevin, thank you for joining us today, and I hope you have been well, sir. Oh, man, I've been doing great, Chris. Now, do I get any kind of prize or you know any, anything for coming on the podcast here? You get the same prize everyone else gets, which is you uh, get well, to enjoy the experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that is a prize in itself so that that that's good enough for me well it feels, i appreciate you asking me sure well it feels weird i've been on the other side of this dozens of times and now this is the first time i'm the one uh, leading the band here so that'll be interesting sure let's talk about last season it, it, unfortunately the plug got pulled before any of us got to see much what were your impressions of where that team was going um, I, I, it would have been really interesting to see how they developed, Chris. Uh, they got off to a pretty good start, you know. They, well, you know, they went out to Arizona and, uh, and lost two out of three, and and but you know, overall, it felt like they were going in a good direction. I mean, you, you had the kind of pitching that they had. Uh, that you felt like that was going to take them a long way. The the offense had a ways to go, but you know the the pitching was definitely there. It was disappointing not to see what kind of season you know Kamar Rocker would have had, or or Mason Hickman, who had obviously uh, been around there a while. But uh, Rocker, especially in his sophomore year, and you know Jack Leiter, I, I 
called a couple of his midweek starts and man, you, you sell that dude. He made like three starts and went two and Oh, and had a sub two ERA and, uh, holding opponents to uh, under 100 uh, batting average. I think he made four appearances total, but man, you could just see the stuff that he had, the fastball and the breaking stuff. It was, it, it was all there. And uh, that, that to me is the part I, I felt like we got robbed a little bit uh, of seeing what those pitchers were going to become. I, I think it was a team that, that probably uh, by the time you got later on in the season, you, you made it through a tough SEC season and, and you kind of see where they are. I mean, I think they were going to, you know, make it, you know, make it to the NCAA regionals, have a chance to to do some damage in the NCAA tournament, maybe have a chance to get back to Omaha. They certainly didn't have near the firepower, nowhere close to that, that 2019 team, which was, you know, one of the greatest in the history of college baseball. But I, I think they would have had a chance to to do some damage in the NCAA tournament uh, had, had the season gone on and, and this team been able to, to really progress. And, you know, you, you had a superstar in Austin Martin, but he also had some guys starting to, to show that they were going to be uh, special players. I think Isaiah Thomas might be the next big star for this group, but man, it, it just felt like they they got robbed and you felt bad for guys like Ty DeBall and Harrison Ray. I mean, it was their, their last go around. They ended up, you know, going and, and signing uh, pro deals, but uh, you wanted to see those guys go out the right way. It felt like uh, they, they got robbed that we did too a little bit. Yeah, I felt that way for sure. I think the offense would have been a struggle. That might have been one of those things where maybe in postseason – as kids got at bats and experience, they were able to turn it on and take it to a different level. And I talked to Tim. He felt like offensively they would have eventually come around. He liked, he really liked some of the things he was seeing from his younger kids. As my dog uh, is apparently not liking something he's hearing on the Bark podcast. In the right. Uh, he's wearing the cone of shame, by the way, right now. So. Oh, man, that's tough. Still wearing the cone of shame. Now, we, we talked the other day, and the dog had that going on. Yeah, well, he had a he was neutered this week, so this is uh, protected oh, from himself, kind of thing. It might be a little too much information, but um, in any case, I really felt like you know talking to Tim. I think he thought that that lineup was eventually going to come around. Yeah, I, I think so too. And, and Cooper Davis was having a really nice year. He had hit three forty eight in eighteen games, and yeah. He, it wasn't going to have the power. It was never going to have the power that it did the year before, but uh, it felt like they could probably score enough runs to have a chance to have a good season. Because when you, when you have the kind of pitching that can lock people down, like, like they could, you don't have to score a ton of runs to be successful, but yeah, the offense, you could already tell early in the season, it was going to be a little bit of a struggle, but you know, that that's the thing that, that you miss by not seeing the, the season progress from mid March on into early May is uh, just seeing what they were going to be like. Uh, but I, I'm with you. And I, I think the, uh, the offense might have been a problem, especially as you you got into some of those SEC weekends where you see pitching that's that stacks up well against Vanderbilt, and uh, you, you know those runs are going to be at a premium. That that could have been a, been an issue for this group, but but again, the, the pitching was the pitching was going to be there. It was just a matter of if they could score enough runs. Yeah, the pitching was loaded across the league, so I'm confident that was going to be an issue a good bit of the season. But my goodness, nobody was loaded like they were. I mean. They had a chance to have a pitching staff for the ages because you look at the rotation. They had two guys in Rocker and Hickman who could have been first-team All-Americans, and who knows what Leiter would have become. Uh, they had a superstar closer at the end, although he had struggled. But the thing that they really had that was really their Achilles heel the year before, I mean, I say that relatively speaking, that team was pretty strong, and your weak parts get magnified by looking at the strong parts. But <laughs> – the thing that struck me, and, and you saw it in midweek, Kevin, 
they had so many kids, Laboki, Doolin, uh, Schultz, who could just come in and not only overpower hitters at times, but just throw strikes, which is really hard to do as a freshman. That, to me, was the thing that put them over the top because I kept looking at that and I kept thinking, even if they were to lose Hickman or Rocker or somebody for an extended stay, man, they had so many arms. I figured it was going to work out one way or the other. Yeah, I think so, too. And Are you like me in that when you see some of these young guys come in and start to pitch for the first time, and they're throwing like mid nineties and they have really polished stuff and good looking deliveries and all that. And you think, where do these guys come from? It's like, they're, they're, they're just one after another, you know, making their way through this program. Uh, you, you could tell they, they were being careful with a, a couple of the big guns, uh, you know, Kamar rocker, I think got scratched from a, a start early in the season, uh, um, in, in one of the weekend series, but, uh, it, it felt good that e- even if, if those guys weren't available, you're talking about you know the, the top players. Even if they weren't available for any stretch of time, there were going to be plenty of firepower from the uh, the pitching staff to to cover those things. And yeah, the, you, you missed out on two. Uh, I'm seeing what the the first years might have been like for for some of those freshman dudes. And you know, uh, I know Tyler Brown got off to a rough start, but he he was going to be fine, I think. And, and, and as you make your way through the season, especially you play those sec weekends and you know, where you need that experience uh, on the backside, you know, coming out of the bullpen to try to lock it down. You, you felt pretty confident that that guy was going to be just fine. Uh, but yeah, the, the, uh, the, the arms that continue to roll through this program and, and get the tutelage of Scott Brown and, and Tim Corbin year after year, to me, it's just remarkable to see the kind of stuff these guys have. Well, they've had dominant arms for, and I don't know that they've had that many freshmen who come in and throw that hard right away, but it's not a sight unseen there. But what, to me, set the difference with those guys was you see guys who come in and they're hard to hit right away, but maybe they struggle through 22 and 23 pitch innings where they're Uh walking a couple of guys, hitting somebody like you can't hit them, but they also can't always get it where they want to. You were seeing guys come in and throw maybe 11, 12 pitch innings, uh, get in, get out, and that just to me, the ease with which some of those kids did it. Now, look, the competition was going to get a lot tougher in the SEC, but they showed the ability to hit the spots and throw strikes, and that was the thing to me that just opened my eyes because I've seen a lot of great pitching classes there, but I've never seen one with as many kids that they brought in that could do that right away, and I don't think it's even close. Yeah, I mean, like you say, you talk about the, the polish of these guys and when you stick them in those spots. And um, I, I would have liked to see what they, they would have done with Jack Leiter because, you know, they, they used him in a starting role in the midweek. But, you know, would it have progressed to a point where you, you got to where he, he ended up being maybe a weekend starter in conference player? Or did they just kind of keep him in that, hey, you get a midweek start, then we usually do in, in some spots uh, on the weekend? Uh, how that all would have played out. You know, Mason Hickman was going to be one of your main guys. Ethan Smith was good in, in, in some of the, uh, the the work that I saw. I saw him pitch some in the midweek. I mean, you were going to have, you know, Kamar on the weekend. Obviously, Jake Eater was there, too. Um, I, I just liked – I would have been interested to see how he, he pieced all that together as he got deeper in the year and guys got a little more experience under the belts and, and you know, maybe lighter, you know, got into more of those those big situations on the weekend in some of the conference matchups. And you, you kind of say the same thing about the uh, – you know, the, the lineup too, you know, how, how would they have, you, you see him ob- often try different lineups, try different combinations of guys in, in the, in the, uh, in the pre-conference, just trying to see what he has and what, what works. 
what would they have settled on or would it have been a process that would have, you know, continued to be a work in progress as you made your way through conference play? Well, so many regrets and again, not seeing how that pitching staff would have played out as one of them, but the other one, and I don't know which one I'd put first, maybe this one that I'm about to mention, but I was really dying to see what Austin Martin was going to do with the full season because it felt like the bat was just coming around. It's not like he'd been bad. In fact, his production was great, but I felt like you watched him and for whatever reason, maybe because it was February and it was cold, he wasn't quite Austin Martin yet, but I felt like he had just started to get in that Austin Martin type of groove and was going to have a really good shot to be National Player of the Year. And that's that may be, now that I think about it, my biggest regret. Because I've said, I think if Austin Martin gets a full junior year, he had an argument to walk out as the greatest player they ever had in terms of what he did there. Because if you throw a National Player of the Year type season on top of what he did last year where he nearly hit 400, uh, it was arguably their best player. It was either he or J.J. Bleday, and I could go either way. Uh, I really think that the body of work between that and what he did his freshman year was just going to be exceptional, and I really hate it that we didn't get to see what that would have looked like for him. That's a major disappointment, Chris. No question about it. I want to say he had a little bit of an injury issue that kept him out of a couple games, if I remember correctly, but he played most of them. He, he had 377 in 16 games, uh, three homers, 11 RBIs, six doubles. But he, he is a really special player, and it, if he had played the whole year, I have no doubt he would have had another monster season. Um, you, you, you wonder what it would have been like, maybe not having the protection in, in the lineup that, that he had the previous season you know, when he had you know that, that with J.J. Bleday and everybody else in that national championship group, but he was destined to have a, a huge 2020 season. He, you know, he was already a, a high draft pick, you know, going in the, in the, you know, near the top to the Toronto Blue Jays. And we, I think it, there are a lot of us who thought he might go even higher than he did. But when, when I think about special talents that have gone through this program and you've seen him during the, the time that, that Tim Corbin has been here, that, that guy's one of the two or three you think of. I mean, he's, he's in that, uh, you know, elite group with, you know, Dansby Swanson. I, I, I still think Jared Kendall was one of the most talented dudes I saw come through here, but I mean, you can go, you can make a long list of guys, but Austin Martin, his versatility, you could put him pretty much anywhere on the field. You felt pretty good about it. You know, he played a lot of third base, but you think about going back to his freshman year and they put him in the outfield. He made some spectacular plays out there and left. There's one against uh, South Carolina that comes to mind that, you know, kind of saved the day in a, in a situation late in a game. Uh, but he, he is just a really special talent. I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does in, in the big leagues and, and how Toronto uses them. Their, their infield looks like it's going to be pretty set for a long time, but when you got a guy who can handle a bat like he does and just, just kind of brings that confidence, he has a little swagger to him, and he, you can tell he just loves playing the game. I he, he's I, I think he looks like a, a can't-miss guy in the big leagues, but I, w- I wish we could have seen the, the whole production of 2020 out of him, but just, just seeing how special it might have been. Yeah, I always like the positional versatility, the fact that you could plug him in a lot of spots, but I've said this, and see if you agree, you've seen a lot of baseball, a lot of college baseball I don't think that I've ever seen a kid in college baseball who could barrel the ball as consistently as Austin Martin did. Oh yeah. Hey, I just, just make solid contact at bat after a bat. And, you know, I, I was thinking, I thought about this a lot. You mentioned earlier that he had a chance to hit 400 in 2019 
And really, he was almost a victim of the team's success uh, in, in his quest to hit 400. That didn't really matter because they won the national championship, but he, he came pretty close. But it's like that they played too many games for him to do it. I mean, he was over 400 for the for the, the entire season until the, the end of the College World Series. And we, we did some games early in the year in 2019, and, and he was just, just tearing the cover off the ball and just, I don't know batting average of 500 or whatever it was. And, and even when it, you know, you started to come back to earth a little bit as they, as they get more at bats, as happens to everybody, we said, you know, he's got to level off at some point. He's going to dip below 400 and he's going to have a great year, but it never happened. He just kept on is so consistent uh, week in week out. And uh, I, I, I would have, you know, he just had so many at bats in the end. You know, when when they got deep in the College World Series and, and you know played that final series against Michigan, that that it dipped under 400. But uh, he he just has so many good at bats where he's never really out of an at bat or overmatched. And he, like you say, he just makes solid contact and barrels it up uh, time after time. He's just he's just one of those guys. He just always looks locked in every time he steps to the plate and and, and can make something happen for you. That's a great point because I think I read somewhere, I don't know if it was Driveline that did the research, but I think that the toughest hitters park in college baseball is TD Ameritrade Park, which is not really a college park, but of course you play the College World Series here and they've come up with factors. Of course, Hoover is not, I I know it's not a, a terrific hitters park either, probably not as bad as TD Ameritrade, but it's known as a pitcher's park. So you're right, I didn't think about that, but they played what, Six games in Omaha, and then they also played, what was it, uh, four in the SEC tournament. So right there, just what they ran into, and especially in Omaha, you look back on the arms they faced, the Chris uh-huh. Wells and the kids like that. and I mean, Tommy Henry, just about every pitcher he went up against. Uh, and if you want to go to Duke, too, you can also include Bryce Jarvis in there. But almost every pitcher he went up against in the last few weeks was a guy that's a draft prospect. A lot of those are first-rounders. You're right. I mean, just the fact that their season extended on really did hinder his stats a bit. It did. That that, that, uh, TD Ameritrade Park, that's a fantastic place to have the College World Series. But it's... You know, it's not a, uh, it's not a, it is a pitcher's park. It's not, a, you're not going to go out there and see a ton of home runs. <laughs> when you're talking about uh, Hoover a minute ago, I was thinking, yeah, I had the uh, Vanderbilt Ole Miss game uh, on line one <laughs> from, from the SEC uh, tournament. Oh my couple, goodness. Yes. A couple years ago. Uh, you see a little bit of everything at that place, especially when you get deeper in the tournament and everybody's used up all their pitching and, and, and everybody's sort of running on fumes. You never know what you might get in those last few games. Uh, but yeah, Austin Martin, just a, a, a remarkable talent. And, you know, there, there are certain players that, that have stood out over this run with the, with Tim Corbin as coach and the, you know, all the college world series trips and, and really some great players on teams that, that didn't get to Omaha and, and Austin Martin is right there at the top of the list for me. We've got some questions about next year. So I'll just go right into those. If that's cool with you, Kevin, these are listening okay. questions. Okay. I'll this, do my best. Yeah. I think you'll be okay. Um, the mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood. Josh can take care of all your insurance needs. Call him today at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or at facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He is my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about it here. VU65 says, will the fall workouts, or excuse me, what will the fall workouts consist of for Vandy boys? As I'm doing this, uh, 
Another listener who's got a little bit of knowledge of the situation tells me that uh, he thinks fall ball is going to start September the 15th and run into October. So at least we know a timeline now, if that's true. Yeah, I, I know they'll, the, the best I understand it, they can do the usual fall practices and, and the things as far as Vanderbilt's team. You just can't have a series against somebody else like you normally would. You know, in previous years, Vanderbilt's played, you know, Oklahoma State or, you know, try uh, other teams. Uh, Michigan came in here for that little uh, series last year, uh, which was very cool. Uh, but, yeah, there, there's not going to be any work against outside teams, but you can do all the stuff that you normally do as far as your uh, your own uh, inter-squad stuff. And, man, that, it always seems like that stuff's so valuable for, for Tim Corbin and, and, and sort of sets the stage for what's to come when the, when the calendar flips and you start really getting ready for the season. Uh, they get a good look at these guys and what they're about and how far some of them have to go and you know some of the young players and, and what they're able to do. Uh, but no outside competition, but, uh, that, that sounds good on a uh, start date, which it isn't really that far away in mid September. Next question. And these are all from VU 65, by the way, he says, what changes to the 21, uh, 2021 season have been determined? I know roster limits is one of those. Um, in fact, I put together a roster of Andy sports.com VU Commodores does not have one up yet, but I think they've got 40 players on campus right now. And 41 when Christian Little shows up. If he does, I'll get to that in a minute. But that's one of the changes is that they basically got the roster restriction of the 35-man roster is not a restriction for this year just because of the mess left to them by COVID. Sure. Um, I, I was also uh, reading uh, Kendall Rogers reporting the NCAA had approved some, some uh, you know, a temporary mandate to uh, to pay voluntary assistant coaches. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how that goes about extending into next year. We really haven't heard a whole lot in terms of how the season might be altered or any of that because I, it, it feels like they're just sort of waiting to see what's going to happen. By, by the time you get to early 2021, maybe there's a vaccine and, and the whole situation eases up a little bit and you can just play the season like you normally would. I think that's that that would be my hope anyway. Uh, but, you know, as far as making any alter alterations to the schedule i haven't heard of anything yet the draft is going to be different uh the draft is going to be in july which would be after the college world series is over uh, assuming things go as scheduled and uh what i understand they're going to roll it into the all-star game festivities in atlanta and have the draft be part of that which i I think that's a great idea i always thought that was so awkward and weird that they they did the thing the way they did having the draft right there in the middle of the NCAA tournament where the kids are off the regional somewhere and they, they come off the field or while they're still playing, they're, they're getting drafted uh, you know, by the major league teams. Um, I, I do like that part of it. Uh, but in terms of the schedule being altered, any, I have not heard anything there yet. Yeah. I, in fact, I had not heard that on the all-star game and the draft. So that, I think that'll be fun. I do regret that they didn't get to do what they were going to do this year, which was to have the draft, uh, right before the College World Series started in Omaha. I thought that was going to be a lot of fun. Um, it would have been a fun road trip had Vandy been in that to get out there maybe a little early and try to cover both. Oh, yeah, that would have been great because, you know, Vanderbilt's always going to have guys who are, are going to be part of, you know, you feel like pretty high draft picks and and have a chance to be uh, selected. So t- to have – if you if had the double play of them being in the College World Series and having guys who were going to go uh, near the top of the draft, it, it would have been cool to see how that whole thing went down. VU65 says, how significant is the addition of Christian Little to the spring roster? Uh, Christian Little, for people who are not aware, is a very highly regarded 
2021 kid, or he was supposed to be in the 2021 class, and he is reclassified. He's potentially a top 10 in the guy draft, but he is now, looks like, going to come to campus in January. You know, Kevin, I I know how these things go. Sometimes kids are highly regarded and come in, and and some of them are Jack Leiter, and they take to everything like a duck to water. Some of them are Tyler Beattie or some guys like that where maybe they struggle a little bit more at the first. So you just never know till they get to campus and you see them. But what I've heard is that that kid throws strikes. And to me, that's a big thing that differentiates the kids who succeed and the ones who do not. Yeah, I was uh, before we went on here, I was doing a little reading up on Christian Little, Little the, uh, the young man from St. Louis, yeah, 17 years old. Throws uh, 94, 95 for, from what I saw, and, and I watched a little video of him with like some, some nice breaking stuff. You never, never can, like you say, you never can tell until they get up there and face uh, college hitters. But boy, I just think that's for for any kid, and he, he sounds like he, you know, he, he has a really strong family backing, and I, I think his dad uh, played professional ball, but. It's still a big transition to go from playing high school ball to, to go into college life, not not just playing college baseball, but college life, um, you know, going to you know, a, a very difficult school in, in Vanderbilt in terms of the academics, uh, going to a, a top level program where you're playing the best of the best uh, with, with the Commodores. For, for any kid, it's a transition. I, I think this is – it'll be interesting to watch. Um, but, boy, if you have that kind of stuff and you can throw strikes, you can, you can come in and, and uh, maybe get, get settled in and, and feel pretty comfortable. Uh, but, yeah, I, I know that uh, made a lot of headlines. I even saw some, some Bandy fans over on Twitter uh, you know, writing, writing songs about it to the uh, tune of Sister Christian, the, uh, the Night Ranger uh, hit from the 80s. Uh, nice. <laughs> which I, I found some of that stuff pretty humorous. I was going to add some of my own spin at, you know, if they could do Sentimental Street or something like that next. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, – man, it's, from, from everything you see in here, he has great stuff, but we'll, we'll see what kind of impact he might be able to have as a uh, 17-year-old freshman. I I think that's going to stick in my head all day, the tune uh, to Sister <laughs> Christian. I, we might have to come up with some lyrics on our own at some point. <laughs> I want to say it was the uh, the uh, the Arik Goldfinger uh, fellow on Twitter that, oh, he's that wrote a that scream. Yeah, <laughs> we we may have to have a podcast segment of song lyrics by Chris and Kevin, and maybe do our own. I hear you're pretty good at that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was uh, I was out on a run yesterday morning, and uh, I, after I saw that. The, the sister Christian Christian little thing on Twitter. I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to bust out night Rangers greatest hits and listen to it on my run. So I, I came up with all sorts of stuff I could do, you know, during games, if he's pitching, you know, he, he kept him off a of sentimental street, uh, the secret of his success. I mean, you, you could go on for days, uh, but, but yeah, so we, we, we can definitely do that on a, a future podcast. As a sidebar, do you ever watch the Braves games and listen to their organist? I do, and their organist is very clever. Oh I, I've my. noticed it watching on TV, and, I, and I've watched it, and I've noticed uh, in times we've been to games down there, some of the stuff that they do is deep catalog, isn't it? And you, and you really have to think. It's almost a challenge if you watch the games or you go to a game down there, and, and, you, and you listen to what they play for, for one of the opposing hitters, the, the walk-up music, and you try to figure out what the connection was. There was one. We, we were at Braves Diamondbacks, I believe it was, a couple seasons ago. And A.J. Pollock came to the plate for for Arizona. And the organist played the, the Georgia fight song 
was a battle hymn of the Republic or, you know, that, that the, the familiar Georgia Bulldogs fight song. And I said, okay, what is the connection with AJ Pollock and that song? I looked up AJ Pollock as like, is he, is he from Georgia? Is does he have some connection here? Did he play at Georgia? I was like, I don't think so. And he was from like the Northeast. He's from like New Hampshire or Connecticut or, or somewhere like that. It's like, okay, well that's not the connection. And then it occurred to me, it was David Pollock. David Pollock. That's what I was thinking. Pollock. And yes. they're, they're not related. In fact, I don't even know if their last names are spelled exactly the same. But it was it was a connection. It was AJ Pollock and David Pollock, and then the Georgia fight song. I was like, that that's going deep right there. I had I had to uh, to even think about it and get a little help on that one. I, I had my phone and I looked it up, and uh, I, I thought that was really amusing. They were playing the Phillies the other night, and Gene Secura comes to the plate, and they're playing Billy Jean, which is pretty clever. Uh, right. The the one I was in, I was down there two summers ago for a game with the uh, Brewers, and I felt like I was just out. I, I I felt like I was like the only guy around paying attention. I was listening to the stuff he would come up with, and Jesus Aguilar was a great one because one time he's up, and they're playing Jesus is just all right by me, <laughs> uh, and then they Jimmy played Brothers, a couple yeah. of Christian <laughs> hymns, and I was just like, oh, this is. <laughs> You know, like you're the only guy in the room that's paying attention to something that's going on and it just amuses yeah. you. That was kind of me that day. But I I get a kick out of him. Yeah, some of the stuff. And some of it's it's pretty edgy. You know, I, I can't really think of examples off the top of my head. But and some of it is like, boy, that that's getting up close to the line to play that when this person comes up to bat. And, you know, over the years, you, you've seen people who do click effects or you know play walk-up music for opposing hitters you've seen them get in trouble that's happened here with the sounds uh, uh, on, on an occasion or two and, and and you read about it every now and then where uh, somebody will play something that the, the uh, hitter doesn't like or, or somebody feels like it is a bit out of line and uh, they'll get called on the carpet or you've even seen people lose their jobs over, over such things but back to the organist atlanta really really clever that they they come up with some great stuff the only regret I have is that Skip Carey wasn't contemporary with him, where you could have that combo, because that would have been just gold. Oh, it sure would have been. I, aren't there some things that that you see or read, you see maybe a name from the Braves from the 1980s, and you, you can't read it in your own voice. You read it in Skip Carey's voice. Like you see some old photo. I, I love the Super 70s sports guy. Oh, uh, he, yes. he, puts, he puts all, all sorts of stuff. But, you know, he'll put up some old picture of, of somebody with the Braves. And Jane Garber. I mean, you can't you can't read those names without hearing them in Skip Carey's voice. <laughs> uh, you know, Glenn Hubbard. <laughs> yes. I think – I don't know – I don't know that you could do – I don't know that either Skip or Harry would be tenable in today's day and age. Harry certainly not, and right. I think they, it's a they shame. Would never work now. No, uh-huh. and and Skip, um, I think the best Skip Carey line ever was it was one of those sixty win seasons which they had so many of, and it's September, I think, and and they're playing the Pirates, and he says, uh, <laughs> and like Lambs. Being led to the slaughter, the Atlanta Braves take the field. I don't think you could get away with that now. <laughs> There's no way management would put up with that now. Or, you know, some of the stuff that Harry Carey did. I mean, he he, he was just – I mean, you, you would – it would be Twitter every single day on stuff that Harry Carey said. I – I watch uh, I watch the White Sox games quite a bit, and Jason Benetti and Steve Stone are excellent on, on their broadcast. But you know, Steve Stone's been around a long time, and and it, you 
you and I are, are similar in age. We go back to the, the WGN days where it was Harry Carey and Steve Stone doing the Stone doing the Cubs games for all those years. And every time I see Steve Stone, I think of this exchange where Harry Carey goes, he's going to get a shot of cocaine for that tooth. And Steve Stone, without missing a beat, goes, oh, no. I think that's Novocaine, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and when he got on his spell names backwards kick. Oh, was, my goodness. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Here's Andres Galarraga, whose name you say backwards as Galarraga. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I, I always wonder what – and Steve Stone is, is known as one of the, the really nice guys and easy to work with uh, people in, in broadcasting. But I always wondered what, what he was thinking when all that was going on. And I, I, you, you get the feeling, and it, and it came through in the broadcast, that – a lot of his goal was, I got to get this thing back on the rails. I got to get focused on the game. So he, he would do, Harry would do something like that. And then Steve would come back with, well, uh, <laughs> the, the arms in the outfield here, Andre Dawson, you know, obviously has a great arm and right. So that'd be, that's something to watch out for. Or for all you youngsters out there, I mean, he'd, he'd always try to steer it back to, uh, to wherever they needed to be on, on actually announcing the, the, the game that was at hand. I think Steve Stone might have had the toughest straight man job. Uh, in sports, A, and, and B, if he did not write a book about his experiences, which I don't <laughs> think I've heard that he, he really missed an opportunity. He, he did. You know, it's usually the play-by-play guy is the one who's the straight man, and then, the, you know, the, the uh, analyst is the one who's the, who's the crazy one. Uh, looking at you, Dave Passion and Bill Walton, but um, – yeah, in that case, Steve Stone was you know playing the straight man, and Harry Carey was you know, just all over the map. Interesting thing about Harry, about Harry, and I know we're like going way off the map here, but I mean, you go back, we we know him more from Cub days when when he was getting he was getting up there in age, and and to be fair, he had a stroke, and it was never really the same after that. But if you go back to the old days when he called the Cardinals games, and, and I know he did uh, White Sox, and I think maybe the the Oakland A's for a short time. But there was a time when he and Jack Buck were doing the games for the Cardinals, and Harry Carey was an excellent baseball announcer. Uh, not 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 kind of the the, the crazy character that, that we knew from the '80s, but uh, you know, really a, a legit solid play-by-play guy. Yeah, did you ever read his bio? And I, I promise to our listeners, I'll get us back on track. But did you ever read the bio that he had? I, I guess he this was probably twenty-five, thirty years ago. I did not. No, I. I um... I read the one that Jack Brickhouse wrote, but I don't think I've ever read the uh, one that uh, Harry Carey did. Well, the way I remembered it was like we called a game and then we went to this bar and then we went to that bar and then we got back (laughs) in at four in the morning and then there was another game and then we went to this bar and then we went to that bar. I like marveled at the energy that he had to be able to do all that he did. Yeah, I mean, how can you could he get sobered up in time to to call the game, or are you not just you know incredibly hungover when you're trying to to get to the ballpark? That it's it's amazing the lifestyle that some of these people lived, uh, and 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 are able to perform their jobs as well as they do. And uh, yeah, Harry Carey, man, he would you know he would always be talking about somebody's restaurant or, or you know just busting chops with, with somebody in the dugout. It was, it was just it was great, man. I mean, it was just classic TV to watch and. Yeah, you know, we, we we talked about those Braves guys, you know, Skip Carey and, and Ernie Ernie Johnson Sr. and and Pete Van Weer. And to me, Pete Van Weer is one of the the great announcers in baseball history. But but those guys are about equally entertaining too. I mean, Skip Carey could, you know, he he could call the game and do a good job of it. But he he was always super entertaining in his own right. Especially, it was almost like he was better when the Braves were bad. 
And uh, you, you felt good for those guys that they got the payoff of seeing some championship teams once the 90s rolled around. Oh, man. 80s nostalgia. I think I could do a podcast or, or, or four on that alone. But uh, yeah, that, that's our next podcast. It should be. Well, uh, we'll get back to the questions. Got two more here. Uh, besides the players going pro, what other players on last year's roster are not returning? I know Chance Huff, Justin Henry Malloy are at Georgia Tech. Sterling Hayes is at Creighton. Uh, Eric Kaiser's in the transfer portal. Don't think he's landed anywhere, which I think he will, given how well he's throwing. And I missed this. Uh, it kind of went under everybody's radar, but Jake Eater did indeed sign with the Marlins and is in their system now. So I think there might have been one or two other ones, but those I think are the main ones. Yes, uh, I know. As you know, as far as the the drafted players, Austin Martin to Toronto, Tyler Brown, third round Houston. You mentioned Jake Eater, fourth round to Miami, and Mason Heckman in the fifth to Cleveland. Harrison Ray, Toronto, tied of all uh, with Seattle. Um, other than the ones you mentioned, I I don't know of uh, I don't know of others. Um, that that to me has been one of the more confusing parts of all this. Is trying to keep keep track of of who's here and who's not and who's in the portal and who has eligibility left and who gets an extra year those things to me have been it has almost felt like we've just you know disconnected from the real world here for for so many months that uh i i'm like you on some of this stuff it's just been hard to keep track of but uh the, the ones you mentioned um other than those i don't know of others and the last question someone asked about the status of jason gonzalez who missed last year my understanding is that he is back and I've heard, I don't know if he's made some changes to his swing or something. I've heard that they've been pretty pleased with him for whatever that's worth. But um, that's a guy who, Kevin, if it works for him, that's a monster power bat in that lineup when that's something that they needed a year ago. It was, he got off to a good start in, in his freshman year. He was playing a lot. I mean, he was starting. He was playing a lot of third base. Uh, but then as the year went along, you know, he, he was he wasn't really a, a, a big part of what they were doing uh but yeah that I, I was i was thinking last year going into the season like boy that you know this this might be a chance for him to, to really step up i mean they, they need that power bat and maybe he could be one of those guys but yeah definitely root, root for jason uh if, if he's back and uh, gonna be good to go that that would be a big help for him kevin that is the end of the mailbag i want to give you a chance to promote the things you're doing these days, of course, you'll be starting as the sideline announcer at Vanderbilt, which you've done before for football season. You will be, I know, heavily involved in basketball and baseball. You and I also happen to be, by chance, working on some things at Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook with Chris Dortch. Uh, you and I did a podcast together last week. We're both doing some writing things on that end for a newsletter that we've started. So I wanted to give you a chance to promote that and anything else that you're involved with at the moment. Yeah, Chris, I appreciate that. Yeah, um, yeah, doing those things you mentioned, uh, we'll be starting with football here. Uh, the, the first games in about three weeks uh, against Texas A and M. I, I don't know how the uh, the broadcast or the travel or any of of it it's going to uh, be set up completely just yet. We're still trying trying to uh, understand what we uh, will be able to do and, and how it's going to come together. I was talking to Joe Fisher about that the other day, but yeah, helping with the, uh, the football broadcast, we'll be doing the, uh, the pregame and sidelines there. And I had done that for, uh, I guess, uh, 10 or 11 seasons for, from 02 to, to 2012. Uh, but, but happy to be back with Joe. I, he's one of my best friends and, uh, I look forward to, uh, to being back with those guys with Norman and, uh, and Kirby, the, the engineer and, uh, then as far as like the SEC Network Plus broadcast, uh, the telecast, those will be starting soon, too. We're going to be doing uh, soccer matches 
Uh, each team is going to play eight SEC games uh, in, in the uh, women's soccer schedule, four home, four away. We're supposed to have the schedule within uh, the next couple of days, I believe, or at least that's supposed to be out there. So uh, hopefully I'll know more about that. But that's supposed to start uh, here in uh, maybe another week and a half or so. I, I want to say around the 15th is uh, when, when they're targeting to start that. With, with the season that will run through October, then they'll have uh, the SEC tournament at Orange Beach and, and everybody will be uh, going to that. Uh, do the do the soccer matches? We'll be starting with basketball. I, I announce the games for Belmont. I've done the, the radio and, and TV for Belmont for uh, 17 seasons, so I, I will be uh, continuing with that. But also with uh, the SEC Network Plus uh, telecast for Vanderbilt uh, for men's and women's basketball. We do we do a number of the uh, the non conference games for men. Same for the women's. We do do some uh, some of the SEC play there, and then uh, baseball for SEC Network Plus. Uh, we typically uh, do, you know, a, a lot of the midweek and non-conference games, you know, in February and March, and then some of the SEC games as uh, you, you unfold into uh, March and, and April and finish the season up in May. So it's usually a busy time. It's been such a strange year. I had no idea when I left Hawkins Field uh, in on uh, March the 12th or whatever the date was after a, a Vandy Toledo baseball game that I would not be doing any sort of game again until September. And uh, that, that's where we are. It's been a been a long stretch. I, I've really missed it. Uh, I was really sad that the, the baseball season got shut down. I, I love calling the games and, and being a part of that program. Uh, but it's it's been a long road here. And, uh, of course, you know, the, the changes of the zone uh, affected uh, myself and Mark Howard, obviously. And we'll we'll see what's next there. But, yeah, going to be uh, getting back into doing some games soon. I, I don't know if I'll be doing the uh, the full 80 or 90 game uh, schedule that I normally do, but ju- just we'll be happy to be doing uh, games uh, in whatever form uh, they, they come. But yeah, definitely looking forward to getting started with uh, with football and with soccer here in the coming weeks. Well, you were terrific at everything you do. And also, I know that this summer we did not do as many podcasts. We're going to be cranking those back up again soon. I'll probably do a couple a week until football season starts. And then when football season does start, Kevin is going to be part of my regular rotation of guests, and I think we'll extend that on through basketball and baseball because you're covering that too, provided you have the time. But, Kevin, I know I'm very excited about that. Um, we will do our 80s lyrics. Um, we, we will talk crazy broadcasters from, from 80s baseball and maybe talk a little Vandy in there too at some point. Yeah, and we'll tell some Chris Dorch stories too because uh, we I, I know we're both really excited about what we're doing with Chris and and, and Blue Ribbon. Uh, it, it's given me a chance to do some new stuff. I, I've uh, I've helped him edit some on the yearbook, which I know you're you're very deep into and, and do a great job there. Um, I, I've been uh, doing a little bit of writing. That's not something I've done before for for print. You know, I've done a lot of broadcast writing over you know my, my career there, but uh, trying trying my hand at, at print writing, which is a a little different than, than what I normally do, but uh, it, it's been fun uh, doing podcasts with Blue Ribbon. Uh, do one of some type every week, uh, whether it's the like the one we did you and I with the uh, the SEC podcast or the one that uh, Chris Dorch and I do the uh, the national one every other week. So that that whole gig is a lot of fun too, and I re- really appreciative uh, uh, to Chris for for thinking of us there and uh, looking forward to seeing where that takes us. It's going to be fun. Yeah, we are doing a paid newsletter at $72 a year, uh, and it's had some great stories in it. I did one on Gonzaga a couple of weeks ago. Um, you're going to do one on Grace and Murphy at Belmont, I believe, correct? I am. Yes, I've been working on that the uh, the last couple of days. And uh, talking about his – he's a guy who does a lot of stuff, but this is, is focusing on, on his rebounding, which is remarkable for a point guard. He led all point guards in the country in rebounding last year at over seven per game, so – 
uh, exploring a little bit of that and just what makes him successful there. Talk to, to Grayson and a couple other folks. So I'll be looking for that on uh, blueribbon.substack.com. Well, I'm very excited about collaborating with you on a couple of ventures. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today. Have a wonderful holiday weekend, and we will catch you again probably um, midweek after the Texas A&M game. Sounds like a plan, Chris. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. You bet. He's Kevin Inger. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast.